Welcome to Christ Church Anglican. We hope that you were blessed by today's sermon. Would you pray with me? And now, O oh Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each and every one of our hearts be pleasing to you, O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. This morning, uh, rather than really engage in all four texts, I, I wanted to sort of camp out in the book of Jonah. And I really wanted to do that because I feel like Christians come into Jonah with one of two backgrounds. Uh, for most of you who were cradle Christians, the book of Jonah is something you grew up with in children's church and children's ministry, maybe in a felt board or for a younger generation with the VeggieTales movie. And, and first of all, when you think about the themes of this book, it's kind of disturbing that we frame it as a children's story, if you really think about it. But it also means that for a lot of adult Christians, they've never thought about the story of Jonah through adult eyes. But for those of us who came to faith later in life, especially those of us who came from a skeptical path, the book of Jonah is one of those passages that speaks to the authenticity of the Bible. As a young person, I would consider myself sometimes an atheist, sometimes an agnostic, always a skeptic. And I found it very easy to dismiss the supernatural myths of other belief systems because they got nature so wrong. They got human nature so wrong. That in these stories, the heroes, the human heroes of these stories, either are these flawless great heroes who are held up as perfect examples, or if they are flawed, it's a flaw that they typically overcome and they learn a lesson, and it comes across more as a fable than the gritty reality of human life. And yet, time and time again in the scripture, the human heroes of the story are deeply flawed, and sometimes they don't seem to learn the lesson, at least not very quickly. And sometimes God has to do what he wants to do in spite of the human agent he chose. Let's be honest, some of these people, Abraham's family, David's family, belong on an episode of Jerry Springer, right? So... In the scripture, it gets human nature right. And because the scripture gets human nature right, I began to open myself to the possibility that maybe these supernatural claims of the scripture deserve merit too. As unbelievable as they seem, if this book can understand who I am as a person that well, maybe what it says about the divine power of God is possible. And over time, it persuaded me. Jonah is one of those examples because this whole story in its short four chapters is not a shining example of what a good person of faith should be about. Right up till the very end, Jonah is sort of dragged along kicking and screaming through God's plans of redeeming Nineveh. And I think in Jonah's struggle, I think there are some uncomfortable truths that at least I know I struggle with as a person of faith, and I suspect I am far from alone. So I want to work our way through the story of Jonah, not the felt bored little, little man in the whale that you remember from vacation Bible school all those years ago, but a Jonah that maybe you can begin to identify with in a way that helps us understand the sort of people God really wants us to be in the world we live in today. And I want to start by talking about the dilemma Jonah's facing. 
So the word of the Lord comes to Jonah and says, get up and go to Nineveh, that great city. Now we need to realize Nineveh, which by the way is located on the northern, north side of the Tigris River across the river from the modern city of Mosul. By the way, itself not exactly a safe location on earth. Nineveh would not have been a safe place for Jonah. This is the capital of ancient Assyria a mortal enemy of the northern kingdom of Israel. And to give you the gravity of how lethal a threat the Assyrians were to Jonah, I want you to keep in mind that Jonah's ministry is during the reign of King Jeroboam II, the last strong king of the northern kingdom. A generation later, the children of these Ninevites we read in this story swept down from the north and carried off the 10 tribes into captivity. That is to say these people posed an existential threat to Jonah and his nation, right? I want you to imagine that tomorrow morning the word of God comes to you when you wake up. It says, I want you to arise and go to Pyongyang in North Korea. And I want you to carry my word there. I want you to go to one of the islands in Mozambique where a resurgent ISIS in the last work has taken over, burned down resorts, killed people, and taken total control. I want you to go to Tehran and I want you to go and preach this on the streets of the Iranian capital. That's what God's asking of Jonah. See, a lot of times when we think about the scripture calling us to show love and mercy even upon our enemies, it's easy to imagine us doing that when we're at the advantage and we get to be magnanimous, right? Loving your enemy is easy when your enemy doesn't have any power. But loving your enemy when your enemy still wields power, still possesses a threat, that's a whole different matter. Blessing the one who curses you is no big thing when they no longer have the power to curse. But to bless the one who curses you when they still have the power to continue to curse you, that's a whole other thing. Jonah's wrestling with what I think we all wrestle with, and that is sometimes the ethics that the scripture calls us to live out are way more dangerous than we want to admit, and we'll even spiritualize away. Well, you know, when Jesus said this or when God says this to the prophets, he wasn't thinking about these sorts of situations. But if we're honest about it, the ancient Israelites were constantly in peril when God would ask them to do these things. The disciples of Jesus who were not loved by their fellow Jews and despised by the Romans, were constantly facing peril when they put these teachings into practice. Jonah could have easily been murdered as soon as he set foot in the city. So it's understandable why he would get on a boat to go to the opposite end of the Mediterranean. God says, go to Iraq. He's going to modern-day Spain. Get me as far from Nineveh as you could get. It's an understandable response because obeying God in this instance could get Jonah killed. But God pursues and Jonah faces the consequences of his disobedience, finds himself in the ocean, gobbled up, the scripture says, a fish, we probably think a whale, and delivered. And then in chapter two, we get this beautiful, beautiful song of praise that Jonah writes, thanking God for his deliverance. And so... This time Jonah obeys. But we know that his heart is not fully in the obedience because he goes to preach 
But we know that as he preaches this message of destruction, in the back of his mind, as he confesses in chapter 3, in the back of his mind is, yeah, God's making me announce destruction. But he's so forgiving. And so Jonah goes out there, and it's hard to imagine that his heart isn't seeing forgiveness and redemption. He's proclaiming this message of God, not as a message of hope. Look, disaster's coming, but God is a God of love. You've got a chance. But almost gleefully weaponizing the message of God, happily declaring, you guys are going to get it. Just a few more days. Wait till you see what God's going to do to you. And again, as somebody who started off on the outside of the church, I've experienced firsthand that sometimes we Christians use the scripture as a cudgel to beat the heads of non-Christians. That we forget that the law of God exists to protect people. People don't exist to obey the law. The law exists to protect the people. Sometimes when the church goes out there, we focus on all the negative. We focus on all the things that people are doing wrong as a way to separate ourselves from them. And we're better than you. And we use the gospel as a weapon. I'm ashamed to admit that even after my own conversion, sometimes I've caught myself doing the same thing. So in a sense, we're being obedient. We're telling the world about the gospel. We're telling the world about this righteous God who has all these rules. We're telling the world that the penalty of sin is death and all that's true. But we skip over the gift of God being eternal life. We use the word of the Lord as a way to separate ourselves from others so we can pat ourselves on the back for our righteousness and look down our nose at other people. And we know this is what Jonah is doing because even when God tells him, by the way, Jonah, I've seen the way these people have repented. I'm going to spare the city. Jonah begins to argue with God. Just kill me then. I'd rather die than see you forgive these people. And then Jonah becomes defiant. He goes out on the hillside and he gives himself a front row seat for calamity, right? Basically defying God. Come on, Lord, you said you were going to smite these people. I'm here for the show. Come on, right? We can understand that. It's hard for us to have compassion upon our enemies. Even when we know that's the nature of God. Even when God tells us that's his intention. I don't know how many times I've caught myself just wanting to get a glass of lemonade and a nice place to watch somebody else get the comeuppance they deserve. I've often quipped... And, and sinfully, I'll admit that as a Christian, I don't believe in karma, but I sure do root for it sometimes, right? But this is not what God desires of Jonah. And so we get this final object lesson. Up comes the plant to shade Jonah. Jonah's taking a little bit of comfort. Then God gets rid of that plant. Jonah is mad again. He has what can only be described as a temper tantrum. I've raised four children. I teach junior high kids. I know a temper tantrum when I see one. And Jonah goes into this temper tantrum. And God says, look at you caring about this plant that you didn't do anything for. But you don't want me to show mercy? on this great city. See, we've all got these testimonies like Jonah of a God who loves us enough to give us a mission and a purpose in life even though we don't deserve it, to call us to holy moments to serve. Jonah doesn't deserve this high honor of being used by God, but God called him anyway. 
I told Lori this morning, I don't know why Henry keeps putting me on the preaching rotation. Haven't these people met me? If y'all ever watched me watch a football game, you would think, oh, good grief, don't ever put him in a pulpit, right? And yet, God continues to call these flawed, fallen people who struggle over and over. He continues to call all of us, to give us a chance to play some role of significance in God's actions in the world. And God doesn't need us, right? But he calls for us anyway. And then when we disobey, he pursues. And when our disobedience gets us into a jam, he delivers. And then he gives us a second chance. Some of us are on our third chance. Some of us are fourth, our fifth. Some of us have lost count how many times God has had to dust us off and say, okay, you blew the last one, but go get them, kid. I'm there. Go, right? We have these beautiful testimonies of a God who has forgiven our every sin, even when we knew we were wrong, even when we knew we were being petulant little children, when we fought them tooth and nail, and yet time and time again, he shows his love for us. But here's where we struggle. Here's where I struggled. Here's where Jonah struggled. The point that God is making in the closing verses of the book of Jonah. That the God who did that for you and for me wants to do that for every human being. This book talks a lot about cities. I believe with all my heart that God loves Midland, Texas and everybody who lives in it. God loves Odessa, Texas and everybody who lives in it. Even the rascals among us. But the scripture reminds me that God also loves everybody in Pyongyang, North Korea, including the dictator who kills and oppresses his people there. God loves everybody in Tehran, Iran, including the Ayatollah and the mullahs who get the crowds out there chanting death to America. Hey, that's me, right? And God loves these people who cheer for my death. God loves everybody, and I mean everybody, in Washington, D.C., And I scratch my head at that on a daily basis. God loves all of these cities. God is not shy of exercising divine justice when it's absolutely necessary, but his preference is always for mercy whenever we'll let him be merciful. That's his default mode. But I want to push that even further beyond just thinking about cities or societies and start thinking about people because we know something that Jonah didn't know. We know about the cross. When I think about my own testimony and you think about yours, how comforting is it to realize that when he was bleeding and dying on the cross, Jesus was thinking about you and I, about how what he was doing there, the burden and suffering he took on was so he could take something off of us that he put himself in a position that we deserved so that we can inherit what he alone deserves. I don't understand it. I'm not worthy of it. But that thought blesses my soul when I'm at my lowest. But the corollary to that is for me to realize that the person on the world stage who I envision is the most evil human being on earth, who puts the peace and safety of everybody on earth at risk, the organizations, the governments, the individuals, that Jesus thought about them too. 
to think about inside our own country, the people who I think are a threat to the American way of life, individuals who I look like, look at as not only domestic opponents, but sometimes I begin to think of them as my enemy instead of my neighbor. The people that I wish would just go away because I think they're messing things up. Jesus died for them too. The people in my professional career who have stabbed me in the back, taken credit for my work, made the job harder than it has to be, gotten us off task, wasted time, wasted money, brought in unethical practices. Jesus died for them too. As much as he died for you and me. To think about the members of my own family who at some time have wounded me, betrayed me, who've, who've somehow made me, made me feel insignificant or unloved or even hated. The people who steal my peace, Jesus died for each of them. Jonah never quite gets that in this passage, even though he should. He's a prophet of the Lord, of all people to understand forgiveness. He disobeyed, God pursued He found himself drowning, God rescued. He got a second chance, God used him. And then he pouted when he got to be the instrument of the Lord. And yet God never gives up on Jonah who doesn't get it. He does that for you and I, but he also wants to do it for everybody else, even though the people we don't love. I think this is such an important message for us, especially where the world is right now. We're in a pandemic, we're in a recession, we're in an election year. The world is a mess. Loving your enemies is easy when times are good. But this is a moment when stopping to love our enemies and to bless those who curse us feels dangerous because it is. Just as in the days of Jonah, the stakes for us are very real. And we've got a decision to make as Christians. Are we going to be like the angry servants in the parable in Matthew's gospel who get upset because we've been toiling in the vineyard long and here come our enemies at the 11th hour getting the same grace we have? Or are we going to choose the more dangerous path of loving those people even if they haven't come to the vineyard yet, of hoping for the best for them even when they work for the worst for us? Because this is the mission that God has given us as the church. Not to be agents of vengeance and wrath. God's capable of those things and does them when he has to. But he reserves that power for himself. For we who serve him in the church, he's called us to be those who model and announce his love and forgiveness, even for the worst among us. That he is a God who loves those we're trying so hard not to hate. And he calls you and I to proclaim every opportunity right up to the last minute that those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. May he give us the strength and the courage to love the people we don't want to love the way he has chosen to love us. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. For more information, feel free to visit us online at ccanglican.com. We hope you will join us again soon.